Hello and welcome to Red Star Reviews, the podcast. Um, I just, again, always, just with every episode, want to start off by saying thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much for the feedback and interaction that I've gotten from everyone. I've, this has been such a joy to me to be able to record and share this podcast, and I appreciate every single person who listens to it. I'm sorry for the slight delay. I know that I said every two weeks I'd try and have a new episode, and I missed last week. Last week, this house was full of family, and so my podcast recording studio, um, also known as our guest bedroom, was quite full. So I had to put that on hold, and uh, now I'm happily recording it away, and we'll hopefully have this episode in your hands shortly. But I want to go ahead and tell you the name of this episode. If you've already seen it when you're signing in, then this won't be a surprise, but it is Happy Birthday, Frank Herbert. Yes, this is an episode about Frank Herbert and about favorite authors and the fact that Frank Herbert's birthday just was about a week and a half ago. I every single year try to go ahead and celebrate it in some form or fashion because he is one of my all-time favorite authors. So before I jump into Frank Herbert's books and works, let's just chat for a second about favorite authors because that is a hot-button topic amongst all readers. If you go up, if you want to frustrate a reader, go up to a reader and say, so who's your favorite author? That question is so difficult to answer. Now, some of y'all might be like, oh, it's so-and-so. Oh, it's so-and-so. And you have just one. But from talking with most other readers, I found that most every reader has a group of favorite authors that it rotates it based upon what time of year that it's like, okay, what genre are you talking about? Because I got favorite authors in like each genre. And then what do you mean favorite? Do you mean the one that I've read the most? Do you mean the one that I'm most likely to take with me on a deserted island and read there for the rest of my life? Or do you mean the author that challenged me the most? I mean, so favorite author is a difficult topic. If you had asked me when I was a little kid who your favorite author was, I'd real quickly just say J.R.R. Tolkien. And that's a safe one. If you say Tolkien, no one argues with you. Everyone's like, oh, Tolkien. Oh, yes, Lord of the Rings. No, I get that. I get that. And everyone's like thrilled that Tolkien's your favorite author. So he's actually like the safest author to answer. If you have a group of favorites and Tolkien is amongst them and you don't want to have a long conversation about it, then when someone says, who's your favorite author? Just say Tolkien. They'll be like, oh, yeah, Tolkien. And that's pretty much the whole conversation there, Um, unless they ask you if you watch the movies, in which case we need to have a long, drawn-out conversation about film adaptations, and, you know, we'll get to that in a later podcast. But for the longest time, Tolkien was my favorite author, and it was an easy answer to give to people because it had people not ask too many more follow-up questions because it's not that I didn't want to talk about books, it's just that I found that most of the people didn't want to talk about the books as in-depth as I wanted to jump into. It's like, yeah, Tolkien's my favorite author. So if you want to discuss like people movements and the third age about, you know, how the groups moved over from the east, headed towards the west, pushing the elves out, which family groups moved here and which ones moved there, then yeah, let's talk. And I found, you know, hey, maybe my nerd flag was flying a little bit too high and it didn't really win friends and influence people. But the few people who enjoyed talking about it was a blast. But I digress. Um, I found that Tolkien was a safe answer. And it also was true at the time. But then 
Tolkien wasn't really writing more books when I was a kid, and I'd already devoured most all of his books and reread them, so of course I moved from there and move on. One of the authors that quickly captured my heart was a author by the name of Stephen R. Lawhead. Some of you may have seen his books around and read him. Some of you may have never heard of him. Um, his Pendragon Cycle, which started with Taliesin, Merlin, and Arthur, and then went on to a couple other books, um, was absolutely amazing. I, I truly enjoyed it. Then his Song of Albion trilogy was really good. His um, sci-fi books were really good. So he did takes on Celtic legends and Arthurian legends and then did science fiction. And I found it to be really enjoyable. So I devoured every Stephen R. Lawhead book I could find and then read and reread it. And legitimately, he was my favorite author because he was the one that I just would go and read every single thing that he wrote and then read it again and read it again and read it again and eagerly await the next book. But I also loved Robotech. Robotech was a sci-fi cartoon, and they wrote an 18-book novel adaptation of it, series. And I loved those books. I read and reread those books so many times when I was a kid. They just captured my imagination. And even though I had seen the the cartoons, I owned the comic books, I had the toys, I could act out the story... I still was just so amazed with every page that I turned again and again. So that became my favorite. So what I'm saying is favorites can grow. Favorites can change. It's okay to have multiple favorites. It's okay for a childhood favorite to stay your favorite. And it's also okay to let go of a childhood favorite and decide upon a new favorite. Well, Frank Herbert came along at an influential time in my life. For me, he had already written all these books. I'd like to claim that I discovered him, but that'd be like Christopher Columbus claiming that he discovered America when people were already living there. It's kind of hard to discover something already discovered. But I was first introduced to him, um, and he came on at an influential time in my life. Now, I have to be honest. Y'all have already heard me before complain about film, film adaptations and how I'm not the biggest fan of these things. But my introduction to Dune by Frank Herbert was the gloriously cheesy 1980s adaptation of Dune. Uh, I got to be honest. I loved it. I still love it to this day. It will always have a place in my heart um, for all of its cheesy goodness. May the Atreides space pug live forever. Um, Patrick Stewart as Gurney Halleck is pure genius. Uh, that's the extended edition is worth watching alone just because he has like two more lines in it. So it's worth watching. I don't know if it's three or four hours or something like that, just to see Patrick Stewart have a couple more lines as Gurney Halleck. It's just a dream come true. But I love that film adaptation. I actually even enjoyed the soundtrack so much that my uh, siblings bought me the CD version of the soundtrack so I could sit there and listen to it while I read books. I thought that was the, the greatest thing ever. Um, but Dune just was wonderful to me. But for some reason, even though I was a reader and my dad owned all the books, and I know my brother had read and enjoyed the books, I just didn't want to read the books. I was like, eh, I watched the movie. I guess I don't need to read the book, which is a big mistake. But that's just kind of how I felt in my early childish mind. But I saw, too, that Frank Herbert went on to write 
other books. And Dune was already a pretty thick book, and he had written all these other books. So I kept asking my dad, I'm like, so the Dune movie, how many books does it cover? And he'd be like, well, you know, the first one. It's like, well, how faithful of an adaptation is it? It's not. Okay, um, could I skip it and just read on in this series? Well, you could, but you might be a bit confused. I'm like, okay, so I'll just skim around and look at the other books. And okay, I, I see on the cover of this book, it has a gigantic worm that also looks like a human that's talking to people. Okay, um, but worms aren't people, so what's going on? And so I, I tried opening up the books and thinking, well, I'll just read on. And I was confused within the first chapter or so. So I broke down, I picked up Dune, and I read Dune, and my life was forever changed. Okay, some books you read just for a distraction. You're sitting there, and you just need something to read. For my Aunt Lindsay, that was Harlequin romance novels. She had tons of them lying around her house, and whenever she had a moment of boredom at all, she'd pick up and read a Harlequin romance. She tore through those books so quick, and I'm not slamming them in any way because they are what they are. They were extremely enjoyable. They're pulp fiction. And every one of us probably has those books that we read that are just pulp fiction. They're distraction. They're something that you can just read. You know the formula. You enjoy it. You move on. It doesn't really change your life, but it's a pleasant distraction at the time. Now, there's other books. These books are the books that just kind of stay with you after you finish reading them. They just kind of capture your heart, they capture your mind, and you finish that last page, and you close the book, and it's kind of like your best friend just walked out of the room to go on home. And you're just sitting there like missing your best friend, still thinking about your best friend, thinking about everything you've talked about. That book just kind of got wedged in the back of your mind, and it's sitting in there in the back of your mind, and you're still thinking about it. Those are really good books. Now, there's other books that you read and they completely challenge your whole world view, like turn it upside down on its head, smack you in the face so hard that it just readjusts how your eyes are seeing the world around you. For me, that was Frank Herbert's Dune. Um, the entire Dune series written by Frank Herbert, little caveat there, is one of the most amazing works of literature that I've ever read in my whole entire life. And it transformed how I view the world around me, how I looked at situations just in my own life, how I looked at my own personal beliefs, and then also how I looked at the world in a geopolitical sense, and how I looked at ecology, how I looked at caring for the planet, how I looked at natural resources. Because when you sit down and you read Dune, um, people make all sorts of analogies about the spice represents this, or the spice represents that. Well, in my mind, you know, you're talking about a substance that is found in a difficult place in the desert, um, where you're having to deal with all these uh, different people groups that have strong religious beliefs and do not necessarily agree with the empire that's trying to take away the resources, use it for their benefits, and how the entire empire depends upon that resource. And so, of course, my mind immediately just clicked on, well, that's like fuel for us, like oil. That's, that's like oil, because oil is in limited re regions. The people who live in those limited regions don't uh, like their lands being exploited and their history and their culture being exploited. Um, several empires around the world depend upon it. 
So they cause instability and wars in those regions, and that's a whole other matter altogether. But you see what I'm saying? Like, it made me stop and look at America and examine what America does around the world. It made me stop and look at religion and examine what the effects of religion are upon the world. Because one thing Frank Herbert did, he didn't shy away from religion. And when I was at first reading it and I saw um, his take on religion in the future, I was left sitting there having to examine and say, well, wait a minute, what do I believe? Why do I believe what I believe? How has that been shaped by history? And what would my religion look like 10,000 years down the road, 30,000 years down the road? It actually made me step back and have to examine things. And for that, I'll be forever thankful and appreciate Frank Herbert. And um, for that reason, it's easy for me to say he's my favorite author. Now, I honestly have to say he's one of my favorites because I have several favorites. And I'll get into the other favorites later. But Frank Herbert is one of my true favorite authors who I just am so grateful for the books that he read and for the impact he had on my life and how he changed my worldview. So in honor of his recent birthday, this episode is covering some of those books that he wrote and not explaining why he wrote them. There's enough work out there explaining why he wrote what he wrote. Um, There's enough examinations of Dune at a deep level where if you wanted to dive into it, you can dive so deep into Dune itself and be able to get like information on the original reports that he was writing that just led him to start thinking about this and start creating this. And there's, and it's awesome. It's worth looking into and taking a deep dive into it if you want. Uh, but what this will be is more along the lines of what his works have meant to me and how they've impacted me and, and what I've learned from them. So uh, there will be a few mild spoilers. Uh, so if you have not read Frank Herbert and you intend on reading him very soon, um, then you're welcome to go ahead and stop listening at this point. But I'll let you know that the spoilers are not going to be so major that they're going to ruin any of the stories for you. Uh, they're extremely mild spoilers. Um, but I know some people don't like any form of them whatsoever, even though I'm just going to throw out there that y'all Dune's been around for a while so I think it's fair game to go ahead and discuss it at this point. It's not too soon yet. It's not too soon. Um, that said, moving right along, uh, beware of a few minor spoilers, but they will not be bad. So we've already covered Dune and what Dune itself, the first novel, meant to me and how I read it and it was so different from the movie. And it honestly, it didn't take from my cheesy love of the silly 80s film, but it introduced me to a whole new world, transformed my worldview. It was incredible and amazing, and it's so well written. I I truly enjoyed it. This past year, actually, um, some of you joined in, and we did a group read of Dune for Vintage Sci-Fi Month, which the next Vintage Sci-Fi Month is coming up in January, and I will be hosting a podcast here shortly. Um, about Vintage Sci-Fi Month to give you more details so everyone can join in and start picking out books that they want to read. Um, But this past Vintage Sci-Fi Month, I hosted a group read of Dune, and it was one of the best group reads that I've ever hosted. 
everyone joined in. We had people who had read and reread and reread Dune multiple times. And then you had other people who had never read Frank Herbert at all, much less Dune. And the mixture of people, the perspectives that they brought, it was so much fun, y'all. I mean, it was like seeing Dune fresh and new through all these different eyes and getting to appreciate it from different perspectives and different walks of lives. And it seemed that almost every single person truly enjoyed the story, with a few small exceptions, but even the people who didn't necessarily enjoy the story, most of them found a character to, character or two that they truly enjoyed, and they had a fun time in the group read. And that that's what group reads really are about, the reading experience. If you stress that your friends might not like your book, that you want to read or might not like your favorite author, then you might not want to host a group read of your favorite author. For me, it's okay if you don't like Frank Herbert and it's okay if you don't like Dune. It's fun. I just enjoy it. And uh, for those who are wanting to know how to host a group read, I'll have an episode coming up soon about that too. Hey, hey, listen to all these promos and shout outs for future episodes. Yay. Um, it is true though. Like I'm sitting there writing down plans for future episodes of Red Star Reviews, the podcast, and it's just so much fun, and I'm excited to be sharing them with y'all. But um, back to Dune, the group read went amazing. At the end of the group read, those who could um, watch the movie together, and we discussed it in our group chat, some tweeted about it, and it just, it was so much fun. It's neat to be able to sit down and hit play on a movie knowing that there's people in other continents doing the exact same thing at that same time and just have that shared experience of watching it all together and discussing it. And everybody loved the Atreides space pug. And that is probably the best addition to the whole Dune series by that movie because, alas, I see no evidence of space pug in the written form. But... Dune itself was a gateway, and it introduced me to the series. And you thought, well, Dune's great, and why on earth would I want to move past Dune? And for those who are sitting there considering reading it, that they're like, eh, I don't really like science fiction. At the heart of it, Dune is an adventure story. Like, they didn't really do YA books as much back when Frank Herbert wrote this book, but once you read it, you could see that it almost could be a YA book, um, young adult book. Uh, it's about a coming of age for the primary character. Um, it's about the adventures that they go on, not just externally, but internally. It's about finding themselves in the midst of everything, um, whether they're going to be upon a prophecy or whether they're going to be their own person, whether they even have a choice in the matter. Um, so Dune itself should not be very... Don't let yourself be daunted by it, Um, because yes, it is a science fiction book, but it's more heavy on the fiction than it is necessarily on the science. Um, I say that, but, and I know some people are up in arms right now being like, all the stuff about the ecology. Yes, I totally agree. There is a lot inside that book about ecology. You actually care about the ecology of a whole planet, which is great, which I could get more people in America to do that. Um, that's as an aside, but the um, Dune really does make you care about the planet because the planet itself is like a character inside this book. Um, 
but uh, it's not as heavy on the science. It's more heavy on the fiction. It's more heavy on the characters. It's more heavy on their development. And um, one thing I found interesting is the fact that Frank Herbert does include strong female characters inside of his books. Now, I do wish that some of them had more of a role, but for the time that he was writing science fiction, that was still pretty cool that he was including it in there and that he was trying to acknowledge um, strong women characters inside of his books. So don't be daunted. Give Dune a chance, but I'm moving on for the podcast now. When I left Dune, I was like, okay, um, I want to read on in the series because I never hear people talking about what they discovered afterwards in that series. And I just wanted to know what happens next. And the next book is Dune Messiah. Y'all, Dune Messiah is one of my all-time favorite books ever. It is incredible. It is so short, but so incredibly dense. Like each page just has so much on it that you're left pouring over it to try and read in between the lines to see what you just missed because there's action hidden inside these pages that if you look away for a second or try and glance over it, you just miss something major. So it forces you to stop and contemplate each and every single page. And it is phenomenal. Like if Dune was about a character who was trying to fight his destiny and potentially rise above it and be different and find out who he was, Dune Messiah is about what happens when you do take that next step. When you do try to sidestep the fate that is laid out before you. And also what happens when society gets a hold of a savior and how society reacts to a savior. And again, it challenged my worldview because you're just sitting there saying, wow, a whole church built up around this person, but they didn't necessarily honor this person's desires and wishes. They kind of ran in their own direction with it. So it, it was very interesting. Doom Messiah, like I said, became one of my all-time favorite books, and it would be my absolute favorite book in the whole series if it were not for Children of Dune, the third book of the Dune Saga by Frank Herbert. Children of Dune is amazing, absolutely amazing. Like, you could read it for the philosophical debates alone and just love it, because in Children of Dune, you see the next generation beyond uh, the first two books, rise up and become the primary characters. While they're becoming the primary characters, you're dealing with a universe that is shifting, a whole empire that is shifting on its axis of, with, of power, and you're seeing a group, or you're seeing the children of the leaders before having to decide how are they going to lead? What is their philosophy? Are they going to follow in their parents' footsteps? Um, or are they going to try to step outside of their parents' footsteps and shadows and be their own people? Because the transfer of power from generation to generation is extremely difficult and tricky. Much less when you have the whole religious aspect in there too. Because if people view you as a savior and as a god, well, what happens? You know, what comes next? And also, Frank Herbert was examining themes such as, how does humanity react to saviors? And humanity historically does not react too well to saviors. So you're dealing with seeing what happened to the generation before 
and seeing what choices the generation now is having to make. And it is incredible. The philosophy, like I said, that goes through there, the debates that they have inside of Children of Dune, it's awesome. It, it To me, Children of Dune is the whole reason why the Dune series was written, for what you get out of that book alone. But it doesn't stop there. Children of Dune takes place, and at the end of Children of Dune, you go from there to God Emperor of Dune. Now, between Dune, Dune Messiah, and Children of Dune, you're dealing with like 10 years of time passing between each book or so. When you go from Children of Dune to God Emperor of Dune, you're dealing with, you know, 3,500 years have gone past or so. Uh, So you're dealing with a huge time jump, and like time has flown on past. And there's very few familiar characters left inside of it because you've gone 3,500 years into the future. Um, However, there are some familiar characters. There's your mild spoiler right there. Ha ha, I got it in on y'all. No, um, in God Emperor of Dune, in Children of Dune, like I said, they had to make decisions for what they would do to lead the empire of humanity. And in God Empire of Dune, you're seeing 3,500 years in the future what those choices represented, what came about because of it. Um, You're seeing a golden path that was laid out for all of humanity to follow. But humanity has to evolve, has to grow, has to change, has to develop, has to spread out to save itself. And God Emperor of Dune is a lot of people's favorite in the whole series. It wasn't my favorite. Like I said, Children of Dune and then Dune Messiah are my favorites. But God Empire of Dune, I can understand why it's people's favorites, because inside of it, Frank Herbert gives us one of the tropes that I just absolutely love. The trope of the ancient other who watches over all of humanity, judging, learning, observing, growing, and, you know, being apart from it, but being tied to it. It's one of the reasons why vampire stories actually do appeal to me. Because I love the ancient other. Um, It's just so neat to see humanity from the perspective of an ancient being. And in God Empire of Dune, God Emperor of Dune, we see humanity through the eyes of an ancient being watching over us, um, trying to guide and direct us, but also being surprised by us and trying to, hoping to be surprised by us and longing for what they had in the past. It's an amazing, poignant, beautiful heartbreaking story. And it sets the stage for uh, the next two books, Heretics of Dune and Chapter House Dune. I'm not going to spend too much time talking about those two books because honestly, those are the, to me, the two weaker books in the whole series. They're enjoyable. They're worth reading. Um, I like seeing where they go and seeing what happens with it. But it's also one of those where you can tell um, Frank Herbert had a vision to get to, and unfortunately, he did pass away around the time of the publication for Chapter House Dune. Um, I know since then, his son has picked up the books alongside Kevin J. Anderson, and Brian Herbert and Kevin J. Anderson have written more books in the series. However, those books, the writing doesn't really appeal to me. For a lot of people, they love it. I hope you read it and enjoy it. If it's something that you enjoy, knock yourself out. I'm okay with where Chapter House Dune ends. It's Yes, it's a cliffhanger. But it's kind of like, I don't know that even Frank Herbert himself really could have brought the series home very well. 
with where he was going with it, with what all was going on. But we'll just say that in Heretics of Dune and Chapter House Dune, you see the effects of what the God Emperor of Dune had put into play, and you see how humanity continues to grow and change and develop and evolve. Um, and what I love about the Dune Saga by Frank Herbert is that it feels like a study on humanity, all areas of humanity, um, from religion to politics to sexuality, um, to mind control, to learning, to philosophy. Uh, Frank Herbert examines almost every aspect of humanity, and his insight is worth reading. So I highly recommend the Dune series by Frank Herbert. But what if I were to tell you that my favorite book by Frank Herbert was not actually one of the books of Dune? Um, what if I were to tell you that my favorite books by Frank Herbert were actually his books written outside of Dune? Would anyone believe me? I hope you would, because it's true. Frank Herbert wrote a lot of books outside of Dune. He was a writer. He was an author. He just kept writing. Some of his books um, were good. Some of his books might not be really that great. But every book that I've read so far is really enjoyable. Um, there's a few of his books I have sitting on my shelf where I'm just looking at them like, okay, that one really just does not sound like it's that good of a read. So I'm kind of holding off on them. But he wrote some amazing stories. And I want to talk about those for a little bit. When I got done with the Dune series, I sat there for a long time just enjoying Dune and wanting to read more Frank Herbert, but just not really wanting to move on into his other books. Not sure how I was going to like them, how they'd stack up against Dune. Would I just miss Dune? You know, but I decided to give it a chance. And so I went ahead and I selected one of his books um, that sounded very interesting. And, uh, you know, I decided to go ahead and give a chance. The book that I picked up is called Under Pressure, also known as The Dragon in the Sea. It features a future world where supplies are scarce. There's an empire in the east, there's an empire in the west, and they're battling against each other. And oil is now in a very limited place, and it's a very dangerous place, deep underwater. And the two empires are sending submarines to go and do battle against each other to try and rescue the oil. Well, this one empire's submarines have failed on the past 20 or so trips. No one knows exactly why, and they think that there might be a sleeper agent hidden in the subgroup. So they send the submarines on back out, but with a political agent to kind of examine everyone, to go ahead and dive deep into their minds. And what you get is an amazing story on the psychology of humans while under pressure. Externally, the pressure is the submarine, and internally, it's the battles that they're facing inside their minds and the difficulty of the task at hand. And, well, the concept itself was a little bit, you know, simplistic sounding. You got two empires at war over resources. But the way that he approached it and the way that he dove into the characters' minds just left you in awe. It left you like, okay, Frank Herbert's a good writer. He can make it outside of Dune. This is okay. I'm absolutely loving it. So I decided to go ahead and keep on reading Frank Herbert's books outside of Dune. Like I made it a goal. And so most every vintage sci-fi month, I'd go ahead and pick up a new book. Well, new to me, 
book by Frank Herbert and go ahead and give it a read, which is how I got a hold of Destination Void. Um, Destination Void launches uh, a series outside of Dune that he worked on. Along, He wrote the rest of the series with uh, another author. He co-wrote the other books, but Destination Void was all Frank Herbert. And it is an incredible book that I think would not appeal to a lot of readers, to be honest. It's an awesome book. I enjoyed it a lot. And I think that hardcore Frank Herbert readers would probably enjoy it. But the average person who normally just does not read much sci-fi or vintage sci-fi Frank Herbert, I think I think it would be a bit boring if I'm totally honest. Um, but I enjoyed it for what it was. I thought it was good. Um, the interesting thing about uh, Destination Void is that the action is buried in the dialogue. Like, he does not do a lot of action sequences within the story where he describes the action as much as while the characters are interacting and talking, because they're talking throughout the whole thing, even more than me talking, doing a podcast. They're just going talk, 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 talk. And in the middle of all that talk, if you're not careful, you're going to miss the action. Because they'll sit there and relay to each other what they're doing while they're talking. And so it's easy to miss the actual action because it's hidden in the dialogue. And I noticed that Frank Herbert likes doing that. And it's a neat aspect of writing to me that I just really enjoy. Destination Void is about the pursuit of artificial intelligence and the morality of pursuing it when you realize that if you were to create artificial intelligence, you're creating a new life form. How responsible are we going to be as humanity for that life form? How would that life form react to its creator? Would it exceed us? Would it go beyond our capabilities and our abilities? And that's what Destination Void faces. From there, it launches a whole series, which, like I said, I haven't got to read yet, and I need to. And in upcoming Vintage Sci-Fi months, I'll be going ahead and going through that. Another book that Frank Herbert wrote, which this one wasn't really science fiction. As much as it was just fiction, is called Soul Catcher. Now, Soul Catcher, in a review, I described it as what. <laughs> Sorry, the words just failed me. In a review, I described it as terrible purpose meeting pure innocence. And that's what it is. It is a battle between innocence and purpose. And the purpose is something that can be terrifying and fearful and destructive. And innocence can set itself up for that destruction. And Soul Catcher, that's what it is. I'll, I'll say this about the book. It ended the way that the book needed to end. It's not a happy story. It's not um, one that's an easy read. I enjoyed it. It made me think, um, just like every Frank Herbert book does. But it is a harsh tale and not for the faint of heart. Now, that brings me to one of Frank Herbert's book series outside of Dune that I think rivals Dune and it's thought, and it, it's just, it's really good, y'all. <clears throat> it is the Consentient series that he wrote that starts with a um, short story uh, about a saboteur who works for an agency that the whole point of the agency is that they sabotage. That's what they do. They're part of the recognized bureaucracy of the galaxy, 
And their whole purpose is to go and throw a wrench in the works so that society does not move away from chaos. And so that chaos continues to drive change and help evolve, which I thought, okay, that's rather interesting. It goes from there into a book called Whipping Star. And Whipping Star is full of bad science and great fiction. Um, it really is. It's, it's interesting. The character that he creates is memorable. And you sit there reading a, a book that really deals with a lot of legal wrangling back and forth um, as someone is trying desperately to help rescue someone, something from a contract, which if the contract is fulfilled, the universe might end. But the object is bound to complete that contract. So you're trying to find the legal loophole in a way that you can end it and save the universe. And it's very interesting. Um, it goes from there. It takes a, a turn that I wasn't expecting with the Dusati experiment. And the Dusati experiment, basically, you can set up... Imagine that you take a planet, and it is one of the harshest planets to survive on, and you place a society on there, in hiding, away from the rest of the galaxy. The galaxy doesn't know you're doing this. But you place a society in this incredibly difficult place to survive and you pit it against itself so it's sitting there fight every single moment is a fight for survival and how that society might develop now imagine that society then found out about it and is trying to go ahead and figure out do they need to end this experiment um what do they need to do how immoral is it how moral it might be for the discoveries that the scientists are making and basically at the end you have to go into it to experience it and find out if it needs rescuing and ending. And it's just an incredibly good book. Like, it was just a good read. Thought it was wonderful start to finish. Um, and it is a series. He just wrote those two books in the series alongside the short story. So it's not a very long Frank Herbert series, but it's really good. Now, to bring all of this about Frank Herbert to an end... I told you that my favorite book by Frank Herbert isn't one of his Dune books, and it's true. My favorite book by Frank Herbert is a standalone book that he did called The Godmakers. The Godmakers is an incredible book well, um, that basically uh, examines what goes into creating a god. That's it. That's really what it is. Like The title is very accurate. And it's what goes into creating a God. I found it fascinating. I really found it enjoyable. The um, way the story moves and grows in unexpected ways, what all the main character goes through. And I enjoy vintage science fiction. And vintage science fiction had some weird philosophies and beliefs about the abilities of the mind. And The Godmakers really goes into those pretty deep. And I found that to be just enjoyable. And so The Godmakers just became my favorite book that he had written that I'd read. Now, I need to reread it to see how it holds up on rereads. Because if I'm going to say something is my favorite book, I do need to read it a few times over. So that way I know that it holds up. But I just really enjoyed it. So far, it's been the best book by him that I have personally read. And I'm saying that with how much I love Dune Messiah and how much I love Children of Dune. Um, so 
That is my story on Frank Herbert, on how his work has affected me, on the books that I've read by him, and on how he became my favorite author. Now, favorite authors, like I said, that is a touchy subject. So while Frank Herbert is my favorite author, I mentioned that the other day, and a friend on Bookstagram pointed out and said, well, I thought Ellie Mozart Jr. was your favorite author because you have a stack of books that's almost as tall as you are. And that's true. Ellie Mozart Jr. is my favorite author, alongside Frank Herbert being my favorite author, alongside Ian M. Banks being my favorite author, alongside Brian Ruckley trying to climb up into the ranks of my favorite author. I have so many favorite authors, y'all. It, it's, it's like you don't want to offend one author by saying, you know, well, really, Jane Austen is my favorite author. But when you say Jane Austen is your favorite author, you just upset Bram Stoker. And I know that's silly. But you know what I mean as a reader. It's almost like you don't want to hurt the feelings of your books. But um, Frank Herbert is one of my all-time favorite authors who did transform my worldview and whose books have always stayed with me and impacted me. And when I go back to reread them, they hold up on the rereads. They still challenge me on how I'm viewing the world and how I'm interacting and living in the world. So Frank Herbert, happy birthday. You are an amazing author. And I hope that more people will grab a hold of your books. Now, with every episode of Red Star Reviews, I want to go ahead and recommend a book to everyone. Separate from the books that I cover inside the the episode. And so we're going in a very drastically different direction from Frank Herbert. And I'm going to go ahead and recommend that everyone should read Gaunt's Ghosts by Dan Abnett. It's a series by Dan Abnett. It's set in the Warhammer 40k universe. And it follows um, not a group of like superpowered space marines, but it follows a group of soldiers, regular everyday soldiers in the Imperial Army, um, known as the Tanith First and Only, whose world was destroyed. And they are following a political officer, um, Commissar Colonel Gaunt, who uh, tears through enemies with his chainsword and bolt pistol and is a very straight up and down moral character. And he's leading a group of people that are not always the best moral characters. It's grimdark military sci-fi. And y'all have heard me talk about military sci-fi and grimdark books and all that. And you might have been sitting there saying, well, I want to give it a chance. You know, I'm not sure it sounds like my thing, but, you know, maybe I'll, I'll give it a chance. And you're wondering where to start. Well, go find Dan Abnett's book, um, First and Only. That's the actual start of the Gaunt's Ghost series. I think he's about 14 books into the series right now. Um, I actually just recently re-picked up the, uh, the first book and just finished it the other day on a reread because every so often I just like rereading my books. I know I'm not the only reader out there who does, uh, but, um, first and only is the very first book of the Gaunt's Ghost. If you like omnibuses, well, they have an omnibus edition of the first three books called The Founding. Uh, it collects books one, two, and three, and it gives you uh, a good look into Gaunt's Ghosts and lets you know if the series is for you at a reasonable price. Uh, so that is the book recommendation. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Red Star Reviews. I truly appreciate y'all. Um, if you have any questions or any comments, feel free to email me at redstarreviews at gmail.com. 
Um, you can also comment on my Twitter page, my Facebook page, or my Instagram page. And uh, I would be curious to know, who is your favorite author? Do you have more than one favorite author? Or are you one person who has just one favorite? Is it your childhood favorite? Or did your favorite change as you went from a child to an adult? So um, come on over to my most recent post on Instagram and let me know your thoughts on favorite authors. Thank you so much for listening and I hope y'all have a wonderful, wonderful week.